Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. International Second Quarter Investors Conference Call. Today's call is being recorded. Legal counsel requires us to advise that the discussion scheduled to take place today may contain forward-looking statements that involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties. Actual results may be materially different from any future results, performance, or achievements contemplated in forward-looking statements. Additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from those in the forward-looking statements is contained in the company's annual information form as filed with the Canadian Securities Administrators and in the company's annual report on Form 40F as filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. Today is August 6, 2020. And at this time, for opening remarks and introductions, I would like to turn the call over to the Global Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Jay Hennick. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, uh, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our second quarter conference call. As the Operator mentioned, I'm Jay Hennick, Chief Executive Officer of the company. With me is John Fredrickson, Chief Operating Officer, and Christian Mayer, Chief Financial Officer. This call is being webcast and is available on the Investor Relations section of our website. A presentation slide deck is also available to accompany today's call. This morning, Collier's reported better-than-expected second-quarter results across all segments and regions of our company, despite the impact of COVID-19 primarily in our transactional business. In local currency for the quarter, revenues were $550 million, down 25%, adjusted EBITDA $60 million, down 30%, and adjusted earnings per share came in at $0.70, down 36% relative to the prior year. On a year-to-date basis, revenues were $1.1 billion, down 13%, EBITDA was $114 million, down 11%, and earnings per share was $1.25, down 22% versus the prior year. Based on our results to date, stronger than expected first half and acquisitions already completed, we are increasing our operating expectations for the balance of the year. In a few minutes, Christian will talk more about our financial results, liquidity and balance sheet, as well as our updated assumptions. John will will then offer some operational thoughts, after which we'll open things up to questions. Since March, most markets around the world have been under some form of lockdown or stay-at-home order impacting everyone. I'm proud of how Collier's leadership responded, taking aggressive action early to contain costs and realign resources, while encouraging our professionals to provide important advice and insights to our clients. 
unfortunately our efforts to transform colliers into a different kind of professional services company has paid off handsomely adding more recurring and contractual revenue streams like investment management property and project management mortgage servicing and real property consulting and engineering has provided us with more resilience and service line diversification than ever before changing the dynamics of our global platform for the future recurring services now represent the majority of our revenues and earnings with the balance coming from our highly variable transaction business leasing and capital markets during the quarter industry estimates indicate transaction volumes were down almost 70% in the US deal count down about 50% in Europe and transaction volumes down almost 40% in Asia PAC Colliers of course delivered much better than the rest during the quarter showing great momentum and picking up market share in the same way as we did frankly during the great financial crisis make no mistake revenues from transaction services are not going away it's a great business in fact I suggest that leasing and capital markets are essential services to most owners and occupiers of real estate assets clients want and need our advice now more than ever to help them make better real estate decisions as they navigate uncertain times although revenues in this area may be down temporarily I'm confident they will rebound nicely as business begins to return to normal during the quarter we completed a 230 million dollar offering of convertible notes to further fortify our balance sheet these notes are convertible into shares at the option of the holder but also at the option of colliers essentially their additional equity in our company we finished the quarter with leverage at 1.5 times providing us with significant unused capacity to continue to take advantage of opportunities going forward on the transaction front we continue to take important steps during the quarter we completed the acquisition of Doherty Financial now rebranded as Collier's Mortgage giving us a well-established real estate debt finance and loan servicing platform upon which to build then shortly after the quarter end we added Mazer Consulting a leading US engineering design and consulting firm focused on real estate and infrastructure assets both of these additions provide further growth opportunities and resilient revenue streams and both bring strong leadership teams who will continue to drive their businesses under our unique partnership philosophy I would like to welcome our new partners into the Collier's family the senior leadership team at Collier's Mortgage led by David Duran and those of Mazer Consulting led by Richard Mazer Kevin Haney and Leo Ponzio now I'd like to say a word about the valuation of our shares as you know our leadership team has a proven record of creating value for shareholders delivering more than 20% compound annual growth in share value over the past 25 years this record suggests we know a thing or two about businesses 
and how they are valued and how they're leveraged. When I look at the trading value of Collier Shares, an institutionally recognized global professional services company with significant growth opportunities and the majority of its revenues and earnings coming from resilient revenue streams, I see huge value underappreciated. From an investment perspective, Collier's has historically traded significantly below property or professional services companies despite having superior characteristics. Sooner or later, the market will wake up to this and begin to value our company in line with the value we're creating. That's why our leadership team owns so much of the equity in our company, almost 40%. And that's why we continue to invest as we did during the quarter by purchasing almost 10% of our recent offering. No one has more skin in the game. Looking forward, there continues to be a lot of uncertainty out there, and as a result, we continue to manage our business closely as enterprising owners would. However, whatever may happen in the coming months, all of us at Collier's remain confident that our highly diversified business model, resilient core of recurring revenues, strong balance sheet, entrepreneurial culture, significant insider ownership will enable us to emerge from these unprecedented times stronger and better than ever. Let me now turn things over to Christian for his comments. Christian? Thank you, Jay. <clears throat> As announced earlier today, Collier's reported better than anticipated financial results across all service lines and regions for the second quarter. My comments follow the flow of the slides posted on the investor relations section of Collier's.com to accompany this call. Please note that non-GAAP measures such as, such as adjusted EBITDA and adjusted EPS referenced on this call are defined in the press release issued today. These adjustments are composed primarily of non-cash charges that we view as largely unrelated to our operating results. All references to revenue growth are calculated based on local currency. Second quarter revenues were 550 million, down 25% relative to the prior year. Internal revenues were down 26% due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, primarily on our transactional leasing and capital markets operations throughout the quarter. Second quarter consolidated adjusted EBITDA was 60 million compared to 87 million last year with margins at 10.9% versus 11.7% in the prior year quarter. Margins in each region were impacted by reduced revenues but were mitigated by aggressive measures to contain costs, including discretionary support and administrative costs, as well as compensation. I would like to take this opportunity to thank our teams around the world for their tireless efforts in managing their businesses closely during this unprecedented time. Q2 revenues in the Americas totaled $309 million, down 26%. America's outsourcing and advisory revenues were flat, with each of project management, property management, and valuations holding stable. Leasing and capital markets revenues were down 45% and 24% respectively, with leasing more heavily impacted as occupiers of office space 
particularly in urban markets, deferred decisions on future lease commitments. Adjusted EBITDA was $24 million, down 33% versus last year. <clears throat> EMEA Q2 revenues were $100 million, down 32% for the region. Leasing was down 42%, capital markets down 40%, and outsourcing advisory was down 23%, all impacted by the pandemic. Most of the reduction in outsourcing and advisory in the region came from our turnkey project management business, which experienced delays in executing on-site work as several job sites were inaccessible. Adjusted EBITDA for the region was $6 million compared to $11 million last year. Asia-Pacific revenues were $100 million, down 16%, as the pandemic spread to most markets in the region during the second quarter. Leasing was down 48%, while capital markets was down 25%, partially offset by a small increase in outsourcing and advisory revenues, which included revenues from the recent acquisition of Synergy, never branded as Colliers, in India. Adjusted EBITDA was $12 million compared to $14 million last year. Investment management revenues for Q2 were $41 million, down 12%. Pass-through carried interest revenue attributable to prior owners declined by $4.3 million and comprised the majority of the revenue decline. Assets under management were $35.7 billion at June 30, 2020, up 2% from $35.1 billion as of March 31st, 2020, with underlying asset value in funds under management remaining stable. This validates Harrison Street's demographic investment strategy, which focuses on lower volatility asset classes like student and senior housing, medical office, storage, and social infrastructure. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was $17 million versus $19 million in the comparative period, with the margin impacted by the timing of certain European transaction fees. Our operating cash flow for the second quarter, excluding activity related to our accounts receivable facility, was $43 million, up from $31 million in the prior year quarter. Operating cash flow was favorably impacted by a reduction in working capital in the business, primarily accounts receivable, but also from tax payment deferral programs in some geographic regions. Both of these factors were attributable to the pandemic. Colliers maintains a conservative financial profile with a net debt to adjusted EBITDA leverage ratio of 1.5 times as of June 30, 2020. During the quarter, we completed an offering of five-year 4% convertible notes for net proceeds of $224 million. The notes are convertible into subordinate voting shares over the next five years, or if not converted, may be settled at maturity in subordinate voting shares or cash at the option of colliers. As such, the convertible notes are equity-like in nature, and they are considered equity for purposes of our financial leverage covenants. <laughs> the full extent and duration of the pandemic remains uncertain. However, as Jay mentioned, 
We have updated our working assumptions for the balance of the year to reflect one, better than anticipated results for the second quarter across all service lines and regions, and two, the recent acquisitions of Collier's Mortgage and Mazer Consulting. The updated revenue range for 2020 full year is a 10 to 20% decline relative to 2019. The updated adjusted EBITDA range is a 15% to 25% decline relative to 2019. Looking forward, we expect transactional leasing and capital markets revenues, which both have highly variable cost structures, to remain below 2019 levels, although the scale of decline should moderate in the third and fourth quarters. Investment management and outsourcing and advisory revenues are expected to remain relatively stable through the remainder of the year, with some local variability depending on local market conditions. That concludes my prepared remarks, and I would now like to turn the call over to John. Thank you, Christian. It goes without saying that measures mandated by governments around the world to contain the COVID-19 pandemic have caused steep declines in most business activities across the global economy. As a global business and leading player in commercial real estate and investment management, Colliers has put clients first, finding ways to assist during these times of uncertainty. We are confident that the time, attention, and value delivered today will be rewarded by our clients in the future when the current level of uncertainty significantly reduces and decision-making with longer-term time horizons resumes. Across our global business, our business leaders, professionals, and support staff did an exemplary job adjusting to the significant change in operating conditions. Tough measures were taken to contain costs while striving to ensure business continuity and providing services to clients under challenging circumstances. Prior investments in technology allowed us to transition from in-person to remote working in a near seamless fashion, facilitating ongoing communication and collaboration with each other and our clients. Some of these changes, including a reduction in travel, are expected to be permanent in nature, while others, such as working from home, necessitated by the lockdown measures will be substantially reduced as offices are reopened and repopulated. As we transition back to business as usual, we will continue to closely monitor our costs and gear our variable expense levels to our revenue generating activity. In our last quarterly conference call, I referred to the countless silver linings to this crisis that Colliers would benefit from in the years to come, including the opportunity to reset certain elements of our cost structure, our capabilities, and strategically invest for the future. One example of this was our $10 million broker relief program implemented in our U.S. operations to financially assist many of our commission-only brokerage professionals who have been negatively impacted by the sharp reduction in transaction activity caused by the pandemic. To our knowledge, Colliers is the only major firm in our industry to provide such a program, something that was incredibly well received by our U.S. transaction professionals 
and another way in which Collier's continues to put culture and the value of its people first. In addition, Collier's continues to strategically invest in talent across our global platform and take advantage of opportunities to close gaps and build capabilities by attracting leaders and professionals caught up in bureaucratic organizations that have stifled their entrepreneurial spirit. To all of those that have recently joined Collier's and those looking for a home where the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well, welcome to Collier's. While cost management continues to be an operational priority across our business, other areas of focus include the integration of Collier's mortgage into our U.S. brokerage operations and other relevant service lines so that we can begin the process of leveraging our relationships across multifamily properties and drive value to our clients and brokerage professionals across our U.S. platform. Looking beyond the current crisis and post-pandemic economy, we expect the sharp decline we just experienced in leasing transactions across our global markets, largely related to deferred decision-making by occupiers to reverse, driving a recovery and activity, which from an operational perspective, we intend to maximize by leveraging these investments in talent. That concludes our prepared remarks, and I would now like to turn the call back to our operator to facilitate questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder to ask the question, you will need to press star then one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Again, that's star one to ask the question. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Stephen Sheldon with William Blair. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, and really appreciate you continuing to give guidance here. It just seems like relative to some of your large fears, you have a slightly more optimistic outlook on transaction activity stabilizing over the near term. So anything to call out there in terms of what you're seeing on a forward you know, indicator side that's giving you some confidence about that stabilization, uh, potential stabilization activity over the next few quarters, and how much of that is, is due to maybe market dynamics versus some of the things you talk about, like strategically hiring in this environment? I would say, uh, Stephen, look, our, uh, our, our view and our updated assumptions really are based on a ground-up review of uh, expected transaction activity in our pipelines. Obviously, um, when we're going through that exercise, we are uh, risk adjusting these. Um, I think risk impacting the completion of transactions that are in pipeline is, remains elevated, but we've taken that into account. And uh, I think it's a reflection really of our, of our global business and the, uh, the types of clients that we service. But we uh, are optimistically, have a level of optimistic confidence for the balance of the year. Um, really at this stage, I would um, suggest that this is not due to uh, the selective uh, hiring that we've done. I think that, that as in the past, uh, activity related to those steps is obviously deferred, um, and there's usually a bit of a lag between the date of hiring somebody and their contribution to our operations. But we're confident that that will play out well 
given uh, who we've uh, been successful in hiring more in 2021 and 2022. But um, our outlook is uh, certainly based on a very grassroots, ground-up level review of our pipelines. Got it. Uh, makes sense. Um, and then just as a follow-up, uh, in EMEA for the outsourcing and advisory business, um, you noticed some discrete project headwinds from, I guess, in-person restrictions. What visibility do you have in those projects ramping up in the second half? And has there been any change in client retention so far this year in, in that business in EMEA? Um, Stephen, uh, we, we'd expect that those transactions uh, would get back on track, and, and they are, in some cases, back back on track. Um, you know, these are transactions that were uh, in process and uh, needed to be uh, uh, worked on to completion. Uh, so, so we feel that that uh, revenue uh, will be there in the back half of the year. Uh, um, you know, aside from any. Uh, second wave or any other kind of uh, major issue on the uh, from a health and safety perspective, um, but we do expect those revenues uh, would be there. And, and client retention um, has been sound uh, in our outsourcing and advisory uh, business uh, this year in, in EMEA and as well as globally. Yeah, those are those are active uh, projects that we're currently working on. So it's a subject of. Uh, of getting back in the building to do the work. Some buildings have access in France, some buildings don't have access, and so as they open up, our activities will resume, and as Christian said, we, we, we think the current projects will, will ramp up towards the balance of the year. Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of George Dumet, Scotiabank. Your line is open. Yeah, hi guys. Congrats on a resilient quarter. I just wanted to ask you on just a follow-up question on the Americas. Obviously, I think the deferred uh, decisions on the leasing has quite a bit of an impact. I think that we're down 50% on that in the revenue line year over year. Uh, just wondering how much of that needs to come back um, for us to kind of uh, attain the goalposts that we put out. Can you maybe give us a sense of where that number is trending, how much needs, needs to come back, um, I guess, for us to be, to be able to hit our guidance? George, as, as I indicated um, in my comments, um, you know, leasing was down uh, significantly in the Americas, and uh, we, we do expect in terms of our Q3 and 4 um, that there will be a gradual uh, improvement in, uh, in, uh, in, in leasing and, and in capital markets uh, in Q3 and 4. Um, I think, you know, it'll be gradual. It'll be um, uh, a little bit. Um, you know, there is, there is um, still a heightened uncertainty um, out in, in, the, in the market. And, uh, you know, on an overall basis, we've, we've set the goalposts fairly wide here uh, in, in terms of our working assumption. Um, and, but, but uh, you know, I think some improvement uh, is something that we expect, um, but the degree is, is unknown and uncertain at this point, um, but, uh, but within that, uh, that range that we set out. Okay. Uh, I didn't really see anything uh, in the prepared remarks, but can you guys maybe give us an update on the uh, $150 million in cost savings? Uh, I'm just wondering how much of that so far has been reinvested into the brokerage side of the business. Yeah, George, we, uh, 
we've uh, realized about 60 million out of that 150 million that we targeted uh, in Q2. Uh, and, uh, you know, that is, uh, I think, a testament to our teams and the, the ability uh, to be nimble and, and uh, uh, make those tough decisions quickly. And we, uh, you know, we, we've experienced the benefit of those uh, cost savings, you know, throughout the quarter, uh, you know, April through through June, uh, by, by being uh, quick and, and, and nimble uh, on, on those changes. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're well on track to achieving that $150 million that we set out uh, when we met uh, last at the end of April on, on the Q1 conference call. Okay. Um, and just one last one, if I may, on, I guess, on general, on the, the senior housing asset class, just wondering your thoughts are on anything structural in terms of maybe value of that asset class over, you know, over the next uh, couple of quarters as we navigate the pandemic. And, and uh, just on the AUM side of the business, um, is the view there that we expect to grow AUM uh, in the mid-single digits? I think that's what you guys kind of, uh, that's the goalpost you guys gave last quarter. Is that still um, the aim for the, for the remainder of the year? Thanks. Um, so the seniors component of our investment management platform, Harrison Street, has, uh, has obviously been impacted somewhat um, uh, by the pandemic, uh, but not materially so. Um, I think uh, across the board they've used the opportunity to enhance the value of the assets. There's a lot of, um, it's an essential service, there's a lot of uh, There'll be a delay in terms of having people move in for obvious reasons, but there's uh, waiting lists and so forth. So uh, I think we're very, uh, or Harrison Street is very comfortable with its seniors' portfolio. Um, you know, they're first class, they have first class operators, so uh, from that perspective, um, uh, they're good. Interestingly, um, uh, the, uh, in, in an environment where fundraising has been paused, uh, Harrison Street continues to raise capital. As you can see, the, the AUM is up uh, during the month. Um, and that's, um, uh, so that was a positive sign. And new, new uh, fundings are still on a pause, although there's a lot of people looking at this alternate class because uh, their open-ended fund uh, just received top performance in uh, across the board one, three, five, and since inception. So best returns in the industry. So Harrison Street is um, is uh, doing extremely well, and uh, relative to to other asset classes for sure, and uh, continues to perform. Okay, thanks for your answers. Good luck. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Stephen McLeod with BMO Capital. Your line is open. Uh, thank you. Good morning, guys. Um, I just wanted to circle around a little bit on the outsourcing and advisory business, which clearly was a uh, you know was a bright spot for the quarter in terms of resiliency. Um, could you just give a little bit of color around? Um, what trends you saw within the various segments within outsourcing and advisory, so from property management to project management to evaluation and advisory, and anything else that stood out? Um, yes, all of them, all of them performed uh, extremely well, um, considering what was going on out there, the limitations of 
getting on site in buildings, for example. Uh, you know, property management, as Christian said, was flat, but there was a number of projects uh, that we managed that we couldn't get access to or we could get partial access to or uh, they wanted to reduce costs so the support staff around a building were impacted and yet uh, revenues in that segment continued to uh, be flat with the, last, with the prior year so additional services being provided compensated. Project management pipelines have been uh, as strong as we've ever seen um, they continued to perform. Um, Revenue-wise, was pretty much flat, EBITDA up. I'm just giving you, uh, just giving you thematically uh, sentiment. Um, obviously, engineering is a new segment for us. Uh, uh, operated very well again. Record pipelines. Um, so um, across the board, the only area in project management that was impacted more than the rest, and our project management business now is approaching $450 million globally, is our uh, business in India. And there's been, uh, in India, lockdowns in a number of cities which has impacted uh, their results. Pipelines are there, projects are ongoing, but they can't get access to, uh, similar to, uh, project management in France, actually, you can't get access to a building. You can do work remotely, but in many of these cases, you need to be on site. So if there's restrictions there, it really delays the execution of the job. So really across the board in, our, uh, in, in that segment of our business, we're very pleased with our results. And, uh, you know, they're they're uh, resilient, as you said, but they're also geographically diversified uh, around the world, which, which gives us a great benefit. Project management in Australia was strong. Project management in Asia was strong. So um, those are some of the, uh, some of the uh, details. Okay, that's uh, helpful. Thank you. Um, and then when you look at the Asia-Pacific market, is there anything you can glean in terms of, um, you know, how that, how that market performed, um, you know, out, out of the the initial the initial shock from COVID nineteen, which 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 preceded the rest of the world. Um, is there anything you can glean in terms of uh, a model for potential uh, recovery or improvement in volumes and on the leasing and capital market side? Well, you certainly can see based on our our quarterly results that um, you know the reductions we saw in this quarter were not as significant uh, in the Asia-Pacific region, uh, largely because uh, they uh, went into this thing first and then um, have emerged quicker. Uh, Australia and New Zealand doing a particularly good job in terms of containment. And uh, yes, there's the uh, little spike that's returned, but uh, generally speaking, business is much more further along in terms of resumption back to normal. So. I think that's a good indicator right there in terms of our own uh, our own results um, in the uh, the down or the reduction in the quarter being much more muted in uh, in uh, in that region, um, much like it was uh, a little bit elevated in Europe, which obviously went into things a little bit sooner than in North America here. Okay, that's um, that's great. I think that's it for me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Matt Logan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thank you, and good morning. Uh, 
Jay, you talked a lot about some of the positive end market trends in the outsourcing and advisory segment. Um, if we roll all those trends up, where could we see adjusted EBITDA growing on a normalized basis for recurring services in I guess when we take a step back, I mean, Collier shares are trading well below what we would see as a, a fair multiple for the sum of the parts uh, from these businesses. Would you ever consider leveraging your balance sheet for a larger acquisition to solidify Collier's as a recurring business? Or conversely, would you consider monetizing select pieces of the recurring business to capitalize on high valuations in the private market? Let's start with, uh, you know, everything's on the table. Um, we own 40% of the equity. We're in the business of creating shareholder value. We always have been. And as I said in my prepared comments, I, I think where we're trading is, uh, you know, uh, extremely low uh, relative to other property and professional service businesses out there. Um, we have a very strong balance sheet. We have cr tremendous capacity to continue to, uh, to pursue growth opportunities. As you can see, over the past uh, two years or more, three years probably, uh, most of the activity has been around recurring revenue services. We like the mix of our business today, uh, but um, uh, we like, uh, we like um, uh, you know, we're going to have to take a look at shareholder value and and, um, you know, many of the acquisition prices out there 
for high quality businesses trade well in excess of where Collier is a global platform uh, trades. So we're going to have to look at all of these uh, factors. And I guess maybe taking a step back and, and changing gears a little bit, uh, you had mentioned there, there could be opportunities for further cost reductions uh, within the business. Could you give us a little bit of color on what those might be and how they could impact margins over the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, uh, Matt, in the, in the near term, uh, there are uh, opportunities to take uh, more uh, support costs and, and, and compensation costs primarily uh, out of the business. Uh, that's something that we're looking at uh, closely uh, and we continue to monitor uh, closely. You know, there is a lot of uncertainty still uh, in the market uh, and obviously for our, our Q3 and 4 um, uh, operations, we, we have uh, that lever uh, available to us. Um, as John mentioned, you know, there's some more structural things that are changing in our cost structure, uh, like our approach toward travel, uh, our long-term approach to the level of support costs uh, and administrative costs uh, in the business. Uh, and those are things that will uh, evolve over time and will uh, allow us to uh, improve our margins uh, in those transactional uh, businesses, um, you know, through those changes in approach to the way uh, business is done. And, and that is really one of the silver linings of this crisis. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how, where that, uh, that margin uh, enhancement takes us uh, here uh, over the next, uh, you know, over the coming uh, quarters and years. And last question for me, just a, a minor housekeeping item. Could you tell us the organic growth by region for the Americas, EMEA, and Asia-Pacific? That's great. Appreciate the color. That's all for me. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that's star one to ask the question. Our next question comes from the line of Frederick Baston with Raymond James. Your line is open. Good morning, everyone. My first question is for John. Um, when you stepped into the uh, newly created role of COO, you indicated that you would spend a lot of time uh, strengthening Collier's Occupier Services, um, do some work on corporate solutions and capital markets businesses. Have you been able to get the ball rolling on these initiatives, or were they put on hold um, in favor of other pressing matters? Excellent question. Um, yes, I mean, more of the latter. Um, you know, my, my, my full-time attention was going to be uh, devoted to growth initiatives around global occupier services and a few other uh, important growth initiatives for us. But as a result of what's transpired here with the uh, pandemic, some of my priorities have changed a bit. But by no means have I abandoned uh, working closely with uh, Scott Nelson and the rest of the global occupier services team. I mean, we had the same opportunity that we had uh, previously. It's just been uh, delayed a little bit and uh, we have still, we had a, a pretty ambitious plan to gear up and, and hire 
um, bring on additional talent within that business. Um, so we've had to just pare that back a little bit. We're still doing it. Um, we have been very successful to date in uh, hiring uh, some very high-performing professionals. We're continuing to have those discussions. We're going to be selective, but we're not turning that off at all. Uh, we're continuing to look at uh, better ways to use technology within that business. I think we already have a market-leading Collier's 360 tool that uh, many of our clients and, and others um, use and are very, very interested. It's a differentiator within our, our industry. And, uh, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, um, we're starting to see a little bit in that business. That's going to help dictate our pace of, of investment. And uh, we're, we're now uh, seeing, you know, a number of global mandates that were scheduled to be uh, brought to market in terms of prospective opportunities for our business now uh, surfacing. So we're hopeful that we'll be successful on some of those uh, going into the uh, third quarter here. And that, I think, will be also be an indicator as to uh, whether or not we're able to accelerate our hiring processes around that business. So really excited about it, but certainly um, what's, you know, the operating conditions we're under right now have uh, caused it to, uh, to re-gear a little bit. And, uh, but Notwithstanding that, our long-term perspective is this is an important area for Colliers to grow. Uh, we have the capabilities to do it. There's a few gaps that we need to close, and we're going to do that. Awesome. That's, uh, that's great, Collier. Uh, next question is for Jay. Um, can you share with us perhaps the single largest lesson that you're basically taking away from this pandemic? lesson is that culture uh, counts and um, the uh, the fact that we uh, you know I believe we are extremely well managed uh, there's a lot of people in this organization that have have been with us for many many years they understand the Collier's way of operating they're very enterprising and entrepreneurial and that mattered big time when we had to restructure our operations, take costs out of the business, have detailed conversations with people all around the world, uh, why all of these necessary steps needed to be taken in order to take our business to the next level. And people responded beautifully. Um, and having that cohesion of a management team really makes a difference and I think is going to pay huge dividends for us going forward. I mean, it's not easy to replicate a great culture. And, I mean, at the end of the day, in a people services business, it's all about the culture. That's great. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Jay. My last question, um, Christian, I sorry, I missed the, uh, the dollar amount of savings you were able to achieve out of your um, $150 million target. Yeah, we've achieved 60 in Q2, and uh, the full-year target remains 150. 60, 60 or 50? 60. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm showing no further questions. I will now like to turn the call back over to Jay Hennick for closing remarks. Thank you very much, operator, and thanks everyone for joining us today. 
and uh, we look forward <laughs> to the uh, to the next quarter conference call to see how our transactional services do. Uh, but as Christian says, we're uh, cautiously optimistic. They'll they'll have some gradual uh, improvement. The rest of our business, we're very comfortable with where they're going to be. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll speak soon. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.